And now, a presentation on the Mental Health News Radio Network. The Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Ryan, that is a freaking awesome question. You are the power, and you do not need anybody's permission. He's the only guy that ever crawled out of a grave where people didn't go, oh, ah! Don't worry, don't be afraid, ever, because this is just a ride. You're, you're a great interviewer. You're one of the best. If this is the best God can do, I am not impressed. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. OutofLimitsRadio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. Very happy to present this interview tonight with a fellow host, fellow podcast host and seeker, and I truly believe that this individual is bound for great things. I have to say that I really respect the types of questions that he asks. Before we begin, I just want to tell you a quick story that my dear, beloved friend and teacher, Miss Lisa McGarity, has been advising me that I should have a sacred space. She's like, it's good for you and you know for people that are seeking to have your own sacred space. So... I made my sacred space in a closet. So my wife discovers the sacred space and she's like, okay, I open a closet door. Normally when you go in a closet, there's supposed to be clothes in there. But you have, I don't know, four, five, six machetes hanging. You've got the Outer Limits of Inner Truth poster. You've got candles you've got seven or eight cans of pepper spray oh wait there's a picture of Stuart Wilde on the wall there's some sand I don't recognize and there's about 3,000 rounds of ammunition and there's about one shirt hanging up and she's like do do you even want to try to explain I said yeah it's my sacred spot so I surround myself with things that bring positive energy and help me to become a more, I don't know, seriously, maybe I have a mental health disorder, but that's my sacred spot. Anyway, she does not go in the closet anymore. And when I go into that closet and I ask the spirits for help and guidance, I do not receive any at this time. So maybe I've got to arrange or rearrange that closet. But I'm very excited about a featured guest. Let's begin tonight's show. It is a great honor. I say that passionately to welcome to our show Jahan Sator. I'm about to go to his website at Jahan, I'll spell it for you J E H A N S A T T A U R dot com. Jahan is a truth teller. I call him teacher. And you know, this poor guy interviewed me on his show, The Boundless Authenticity Podcast, for three hours. Can you imagine talking to me for three hours? Obviously, you had to have been. You, you obviously have had to do something crazy in the last lifetime to, to endure that. But he did. He was fantastic. I have to say, I listened to a lot of uh, shows. And Jahan is, is one of the best interviewers uh, I've, uh, I've come across. Uh, really authentic. So, uh, Jahan, welcome to our show. Thank you for being with us. Thanks for having me on. Uh, and you know, Ryan, about your, uh, your past life torture via interview, um, I was listening to a guy called Richard Martini, and he was talking to George Nury. And uh, basically, he was talking about how in his work, he goes to 
people and he puts them in this hypnotic state and sometimes the people are in a classroom and sometimes they're doing other things on the other side and you run into family members or people that you knew and like like let's say it's the the uncle that was drunk and abusive and you didn't really like the guy and then the uncle says to you well you know we agreed to that i you you agreed with me that i would be the annoying uncle you didn't like that drank so maybe we made an agreement torture each other via interview (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i don't know what i agreed to i I had to figure this stuff out i always talk to uh to a beloved friend nancy dannison who died and come came back and she says that you know so let's come up with these agreements i don't understand why i don't understand why we can't access it and you know change things around but you know in the course of the last three months which we started communicating the world's radically changed and you seem to, to be a a lot more sensitive to it so what do you perceive is the driving force behind this change should people be aware and are you generally hopeful or more pessimistic what um well that's a long answer and um it has a lot to do with things that people don't typically want to talk about it's about how everything that we think is normal really is not it's all a game that's been set up by a group of entities people whatever you would like to refer to that as and essentially um i see it as being a kind of a a factory for human beings and and we are the product so the same way that we kind of look at uh cattle going out for slaughter we're raised up a particular way just as the cows are raised up and given just enough nutrients and just enough information to get by and it took me I guess it took me about 15 years of really thinking about it to figure out that, yeah, this this has to be true because everywhere that I look and I research it, I see concrete evidence that something's going on with humankind and that we are not the ones that are in control. And ever since I first had that realization, I've been asking myself that same question. Is there a positive outcome for this I would like to say, yes, there is a positive outcome for it. And why I say that is because the reason why you would see something so off the wall, like the coronavirus, the pandemic, and uh, all these things that go along with it is because the powers that be know that this is the right time. Like They're never going to have a better time than this to strike because... I've been involved in so much of the so-called spiritual realm for a long time that I see how many people are now being brought into a collective shift in energy and a, a shift in understanding. And more people are waking up to the potential of what's happening and they're beginning to lose their trust in the government and they're beginning to see through the veil of politics and religion and all those things. and. I pretty much have assessed that the powers that be are trying to do what they're doing now and they're really ramping it up so that um, they can catch the stragglers. They can catch the ones who haven't yet figured out that, you know, drinking coffee and watching TV and all those things are, are really poisoning the body and the mind. 
and keeping you stuck in one way of being and everybody is just kind of going along about their day if they're radical consumers of the media and they overdo it with caffeine and they overdo it with like soft drinks and alcohol and those things that um they're just under <laughs> psychological control and i don't think that's anything that's new to a lot of your listeners anyway so that's probably the reason why they're here they already know that these kinds of things are going on so yeah i i think that there are more people than ever before that have seen what's going on and they're starting to to want to live their lives in a different way okay when you say starting to live their lives in a different way are you referring to this idea that um i don't know kind of like the, this perpetual balance back and forth where you say okay well certain humans live their lives according to you know being slaves to whatever their bodies are doing and the body obviously maybe constantly keeps, seeks out pleasure and seeks out indulgence and seeks out complacency and then you, you think about maybe a more spiritual approach to things where okay the spirit is not really tied down to the needs of the body but maybe is concerned with the growth experiences or um you know seeking certain types of knowledge when it comes to uh, things something you just described do you think that it, it's uh, the way of living is more peaceful for the sake of being peaceful or is it uh, a way of living that's more designed to have a life that's revolved around the spirit not so much around the uh, the human or that the spirit is occupying okay so let me see if i can really answer that in a, a easy uh, digestible way so I think that those who are uh, so-called asleep are the ones that are stuck in some form of subconscious programming, some self-destructive programming. And I think that the ones who are waking up and who have woken up and who understand that waking up is an ongoing process are the ones that are more in touch with their souls. Because the, the general saying is that a human being has a one-third of their soul in the body, and then the two-thirds is still back in the realm that we came from. And so all the other information that we have is floating around up there. And I think that with enough self-destructive programming, then you can slowly begin to rob a person of their soul. And so the soul is like the blueprint that carries all of the information about what a person is really here to do. And we're all here to learn something, and we're all here to... Uh, to execute certain missions, little side missions for ourselves and do certain things, even those that, you know, we talked about this on, on my show about the non-player characters, even the non-player characters still have a role where the collective is concerned, the big picture, because if we don't have like gap fillers, then who's going to do all that stuff when everybody else is waking up? <laughs> you follow? <laughs> so, um, you know, I really do. I really, and this is a great place for me to launch into a spiel. I feel like the self-destructive programming is pretty much installed into us by the media that we consume. And um, the majority of people aren't ever thinking about how much of their behavior is automatically carried out as a result of the music that they listen to or the books that they read, the TV that they like to watch, the movies that they think they're having fun when, you know, they go out on to the, the cinema and they have all these fun outings and stuff and they're just shoving fucking popcorn in their faces like it like it doesn't even matter at all and they think they're having fun and 
you know, there's a lot of people out there that are going to be saying, well, it can't hurt to watch a movie or the song totally reminds me of a time that I was in love or something. And, uh, you know, they don't want to let go of their friends that are, are pretty much for want of a, a better term puppets, <laughs> brain dead puppets, and just going about their lives uh, overdoing everything, overdoing all the alcohol, just want to party on the weekends and stuff like that. And you're probably saying, oh, but my friend Bob is, you know, he's been my best friend for seven years. And, you know, it's just stuff like that. I, when people ask me that, I typically say, yeah, that's nice. But when are you going to let that go? Because that's just hardwiring associated emotions and patterns of behavior into you that are creating garbage experiences in your life. So why don't you let Bob go fuck up his own life? And like, if you really want better in your life, like you say you want better, then you got to do better. It makes sense to not be in a position where you're programming yourself with the exact opposite of what you say you want. And that's the trap that most people fall into. So, you know, this is, whether you're listening to like Spotify and freaking ACDC or something comes on and that, that's a band you really like and you're bobbing your head you're not having as much fun as you think because it's actually going on to impact you. And so all the stuff that we think is normal and fun is used against us as some kind of a weapon to keep us um, like cattle, essentially. And I, I don't think that there's so many people who really answer your question that are fully in touch with their soul. I think the ones that dwell more in the spiritual realm are the ones that become aware of their soul and they become aware of all the ways that they're being pulled away from their full capacity to use their soul as a as consciousness trying to execute a particular set of instructions and that subconscious pathway is pretty much how they get us because the subconscious just wants to emulate common behavior and all the stuff that we think is normal and fun it's all like void fillers between us and our soul and it's distractions that pretty much keep our, our subconscious programming running all of this stuff that keeps us out of being truly happy. And um, I, think, I think the problem with a lot of people is that inherently they know. Inherently they really do know deep down that something's not right and that they shouldn't be doing the things that they think are fun. And, you know, they just don't know how to break free from that. And a good saying that I, I use a lot in my coaching sessions to get people to understand is that like, people generally just don't know how to do the things that they don't know how to do. Yeah, that's a point. <laughs> great, great thing. When you say they don't know how to do things they don't know how to do, I mean, do you think that there's just like a desire but no ability for the... Uh, body to manifest things because i always find that when you really want to desire something the manifestation i don't know i guess comes if it's in alignment with what you're trying to do do you think that um certain people just naturally do not have the capability or are not in a position where they are able to manifest the tools that they need for their growth or they they specifically came in here with that particular handicap or they came in here with a uh, with that particular challenge laid out in front of them? Well, you know, I think, and uh, this is going to be another long answer, so let me start at the easiest. Love it. I, uh, I, you already know that I'm a big fan of Stuart Wilde. And yep. I, was, I was in that whole new age way of thinking 
over a decade ago and I realized how false it was. But the, the reason why he stood out to me is because he was authentic and true and really just teaching what is, like exactly what it is, no deviations from the script. He wasn't taking answers from the powers that be as to what information he should or could provide. It was straight up and it it really does get to the meat of the matter. And I think that he had a, such a huge uh, level of acceptance and benevolence towards human beings and a, a deep drive to understand even the craziest of people that it really taught me that people by nature are helpless. And so the, to answer the other part of your question, which is going to cause me to launch into another spiel on the subconscious. Um, when people come to me for help, it's it's I think it's the same for all coaches or mindfulness teachers or whatever. They're not satisfied with the way their lives are going, and they feel like they hit rock bottom. They feel like they're in some kind of a crisis, which a crisis is is essentially a state of being that's triggered by a lot of changes in life and a person not really knowing how to get from point A to B. And a lot of people really are well-intentioned with their behavior, except that behind every behavior has a positive reward, even the things that are evil. So in every moment of the day, we're exposed to subconscious programs of other people, and it's coming from the media, and it's coming from the culture around us. And that keeps us in all the patterns of behavior where we create mediocre circumstances because we're trying to conform to other people's ideas about who we should be. And with that barrier in place, a lot of people just are not aware of themselves enough to know what the next step is. And it's so easy to go back to the familiar because the subconscious mind loves repetition. And your behavior is pretty much shaped by whatever is drilled into your head nonstop. So there's a good chance that everything that we do is as a result of something in the environment on repeat. So when the subconscious mind is doing its thing, it's really just trying to, to scan the, the environment and scan every event that happens and match responses to what's already in there. And a fair amount of people lack self-awareness. And so if the general rule is that 5% of your thinking is your conscious mind and 95% is the subconscious, then somebody that's really not self-aware is probably only using about 1% of their conscious mind. So they have no clue what's going on. And they're always going to have this cognitive dissonance that makes it difficult to move past a certain point because it, it's that emotional sting that comes with um, thoughts that will change you that they don't want to feel with. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And, you know, people listening so far, you know, they have a question, as uh, I'd like to reiterate, where did you get your stream of consciousness from or how did you tap into it compared to where you started from? Um, where did I get yeah, your wisdom, body. because you seem that you know, you ask a person, I mean, if, if you ask me, you ask me your show, like, what do you think? Like, I, I really don't know. I have to say, like, I don't have any, um, I don't have any definite, uh, things that I, I could say are hardcore, uh, things that I know for sure, except for the, the love that I have for my family. That's it. I, everything else is subject to question. And 
when I'd ask you some questions, like you, you, it, you, it seemed to, it's like you don't even like think about it. So you, you, they seem to be knowing. So how did you come about into these knowings? And, you know, how did you go from a person who was just kind of, you know, maybe in the system to, to kind of, you know, seeing it for what it is? Like, how did you get to where you are now? Here we go. Here's another long answer to that. So um, I, I have to explain myself to people so often that, you know, it's just kind of like a, <laughs> a subconscious program, really, that comes out of me for everything because I, I, the subconscious mind loves repetition. So I've had to repeat these things, explaining what I do, how I got here so many times, you know, all the things that I say to people in, in coaching sessions and stuff for the past decade that I just kind of can rattle it off. And it, uh, what I find about the information that's remarkable is that none of it changes from, from year to year. None of it changes. I change, the people around me change for better or worse. And the story remains the same. So in order to talk about how I got here, let me first talk about what I actually do. And so much of my work focuses on removing disempowering thoughts and beliefs from the subconscious mind. And those are the things that cause us to create less than favorable emotional consequences and just bullshit circumstances. So I teach people how to change their internal dialogue, clear harsh memories, how to get rid of certain emotions and, and effectively work with the ones that are tougher to get rid of. And I just show them how to delete useless crap from the subconscious. And I also teach meditation and mindfulness, and I basically instruct people when to meditate, how to meditate, and why they have certain thoughts and feelings during meditation, and how they can handle that. And when I talk about what I do, that's what I learned in my journey. And so let me tell you my story so that you get how I got from my story to this point of wisdom or stream of consciousness, as you call it. Like waking up was such a crappy experience for me. It was absolute garbage, right? Like it sucks. I was just like, it sucks. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sucks Let's not do the flower power thing. Like it sucks ass. And um, you know, I, it's important for me to say that way because I want people to understand that if I can be this way, they can be this way too. If they're just starting out, or if they're they've been on this path for a while and they're trying to change themselves, like I'm no different to anybody else. I just have taken the time and suffered enough to understand that. I don't need to suffer. I can take any challenge head on and really learn to be with that. So I was just like everybody else with my head under the water wondering why the hell I couldn't breathe, right? And I wanted to be a rock star and I felt like I was somehow making progress by becoming a part of that whole sex, drugs and rock and roll club. And everyone was after me for my musical ability and everybody wanted me from how I looked. And every project that I started found its way to some form of success. But I was in such a dark state of mind that I did not even see any of that. Like I was completely blind to my own worth. And any success that I found, I would immediately go on to sabotage it somehow. Every time I would get money, every time I would get attention, success, anytime I'd get into a good relationship, I would go do something stupid and mess it all up. And so eventually, after trying to uh, off myself three times using the maximum amount of drugs and alcohol that I could find, I eventually had a profound experience, and that experience uh, led me to be like, well, Jesus Christ, I can't even feel myself right. So, I mean, when you reach that point and you realize, damn, I can't even feel myself right, something's going to change in you, right? Like, there's no way that you're not going to 
start asking different questions. So that experience is what people now call NDE, near-death experience. And I remember going into this dark, murky place, and my consciousness pretty much interfaced with something that I'd never seen before. And when I came back from that, I felt like something in me had shifted tremendously. And uh, it was shortly after that I went to the U.S. to study the music industry, and I just I started to want a bit more for myself than what I had, and I realized that if I could somehow do that, it would eventually lead me somewhere different to where I was. So I struggled for a long time, and I met a lot of really interesting and inspiring people. And uh, one night I was at a gig. And I had what I call my angel moment. And I was talking to the sound engineer about how things should be set up. And then this person said to me, and he tapped me on my shoulder and he says, hey, man, I noticed you have an affinity for leadership. Have you ever heard of coaching? And I was like, nah, I've never heard of coaching. And I, I kind of gestured to him a one, one second. And then I, I looked over at the sound guy and started talking again. And um, when I turned around and told the guy, hey, listen, you want to get a beer and tell me more about coaching? The guy was gone. So I searched the entire bar for this guy. And that seemed to be so freaking bizarre to me that I just went home and searched for coaching. And of course, you know, stuff like personal trainers and all that came up. And then there was Anthony Robbins. So eventually my housemate let me know that he had a bunch of stuff on that. And he had his own interest in doing something like that. And that's how I got started learning about personal development and that whole industry. And during that phase, it hit me that everything I had been reading, books by Robert Greene and Sylvia Brown and Wayne Dyer and books on cognitive behavioral therapy and anxiety and psychology, it was literally pulling me into this world that I always had a sense existed, but I just didn't really have any proof because I was never exposed to anyone that was well-adjusted enough to have an understanding of those things. And I really wanted to solve my problems, and I realized that uh, my desire to change was overpowering my desire to stay the same. And that caused me to start questioning everything. And um, a, a big part of how I ended up in the sex, drugs, and rock and roll uh, mindset was that culture was never designed to help a person like me do anything. In order to be in a part of that world, I had to be completely different from what culture dictated because in this country, um, you're the enemy and, and you're a dissident if you don't subscribe to the traditional religious philosophies. And if you don't go along with what the government says, then you are an outcast. If you don't believe that the kinds of music and the kinds of TV and the way that you should speak and the way you should dress and who you should hang out with, which are all a part of the enculturation. If you don't agree with that, then you're a problem. And I didn't agree with any of it from any of it from the time I was a kid. And I remember being about six years old, I think. Uh, and we had to do an acrostic poem and we had to spell out all the, the letters in the word Barbados. And it's another programming mechanism that I figured out later on in my life. But at that time, I just kind of, I, I froze up and I just, in, in my whole body felt wrong to have this one homework assignment. And so you, in this acrostic poem, there's a line that goes to each letter. And so with B, there's one, with A, there's one, et cetera, et cetera. And all the other kids were doing it. I was just kind of like, there's something really wrong about this. I refused to do it. 
And um, needless to say, the teacher smacked me over the hand with a ruler and told me I was a bad kid because I didn't I didn't do my homework and I don't want to conform and I, I you know I shouldn't I should I should listen to everything that they're saying and they would say all this retarded crap like well Peter paid for Paul and Paul pays for all so the entire class got into trouble because I didn't do the homework and um, that just that turned me into the son of a bitch right there and then because I decided that if that was how they're gonna react because I didn't want to do something that I felt was wrong then I, I'm just going to do everything that I think is right for me. And, you know, you can kiss my ass if you don't like it. That was pretty much my attitude from a young kid. And a lot of that attitude came from having to deal with an alcoholic father who was pretty much doing the best that he could, as abusive as he was. Um, I only found out after he died that he was exposed to, they had like, when he was a kid, they had a housekeeper or something that used to interfere with him. Let's just call it that. And um, it, it traumatized him. And his mother was also uh, selling her body and all kinds of different things like that. They were very poor. Seven of them had to sleep on a bed. And um, they, they never really had a good education or, or good upbringing in general. So that's why he was the way that he was. By the time he was an adult, he was completely fuckered in the head. So I had to deal with the byproduct of that. And... Um, he would just say things to me like, you'll never be good enough. You think you're a good guitar player? You'll never be good at that. Oh, went, Sorry to hear that. You'll never, you'll never be anybody. You think you're better than me because you go into university? You'll, you'll never succeed. And me just being a kid, I would sit on the phone on the evenings and he'd be at his office drunk and he'd call and, and talk to me and tell me all these things. And I just wanted to, I just wanted to see my dad be a better person as a kid with a full innocence in play. So all of that stuff was in my consciousness that I had to work through on my way up to this point. And fast forward to getting into the coaching, I followed that path and I realized after about three months or so that nothing in that traditional life coach world is really designed to do anything except extract more money from unsus unsuspecting victims under two conditions. You, you need to be a few, you only need to be a few steps ahead of someone to be a coach. That's how they get people to enroll, to be certified, to become coaches, even though they haven't really healed anything in themselves. And the second condition is that you have to invest thousands of dollars at once into coaching or charge people that amount as a coach to help them. And that really pissed me off, right? And like, I, I, I really thought I was getting into something that was helping people. And um, I wanted people to have an experience of me that was far from the experience that I had with other people whenever I asked for help with anything. So that was my whole thing. I was like, I'm just going to help anybody that I can because I feel deep down in my soul that that's why I'm here. And that's why we're all here, to help each other in the best that we can and um, not be a sleazy scumbag about it essentially <laughs> and i realized that with everything that i'd gone through and with everything that i was experiencing at that time this is this is 10 years ago now that i could only help people with the wisdom that i acquired in an honest effective and competent way so that made me investigate that industry and as I started to pull back the curtains behind things like NLP, neuro-linguistic programming, and the psychology industry, 
I started to find a lot of information which sent me down the biggest rabbit hole I've ever been in in my life. And so that rabbit hole is all about how the psychology industry and traditional coaching model, as well as things like the New Age movement, have been hijacked to continue the cycle of disempowerment. So I figured out that this needed to be a part of my message going forward. And so the biggest thing missing was the how-to. And in order to figure out how to teach that how-to, I had to begin living the how-to in my own life. So I took as many certifications as I could, and I applied as much of the information as I could to try to figure out what works and what doesn't work. I went through CBT, NLP, hypnotherapy, psychology, mental health practitioner, mindfulness instructor courses. And I took out all the information that I found worked and tested it in in the lives of others. And I built my whole coaching, my application and stuff around that. And um, it just where I'm at now, all of this perceived wisdom just comes from a desire to genuinely help people with every ounce of my soul to help these people figure out how to break free from the paradigms and the subconscious programming. Because at the end of the day, that's what really kept presenting itself in every session that I had with people. And that was exactly what it was with me. It was my subconscious programming being riddled with nonsensical beliefs. And so that ties into the story of my father. And my sister was also very abusive because for some reason she felt the need to um, take up with him. And, and uh, if I can just drop a name here, Lisa McGarity, when I spoke to her um, after it was done, we talked about things. And she's very, she's brilliant at what she does. Like, yeah, she's, she's, yeah, she's, I, I love her so much. Yeah, she doesn't miss a beat. I, yep. I'm growing. I'm growing to really, to really love and respect her as a person as well. And I think that she's going to be a great friend of mine going forward. And she was able to, to look at me and and ask me questions. That and at the end of that exchange, what we realized was that my sister was probably overtaken by some kind of an entity when she was a very young child. And so that's the reason why she acted the way that she did. And so. I I can say that that's one example of me having experiences with entities and stuff like that. I have lots of other ones. But with with all of my questioning about why these things happened in my life and all of the experiences I just described, I just started to get very wise. And, and that's why one of the things I preach to people is you have to ask questions. There's this guy, Whitley Strieber. And he says that beliefs are walls, but questions are doors. A lot of insight and advice. I think in a very short period of time, you, you packed out the show. I mean, I think people can listen to this a couple of times and take away a lot of great wisdom and insight. Mr. Yahan Shator, I want to thank you so much for being with us. And uh, did I get the last name correctly? The, the pronunciation? Yeah, it's Jahan Sator. Sator. I'm sorry about that. I mean, I, I have to put an apology at the beginning about it as well. Because... Um, <laughs> I don't even get my own name right. My name is Ryan, and I call myself Enrico. I don't know. I'm going to work on that. Uh, John, <laughs> actually, if you go there, I've listened to your show before. Uh, you know, it's fantastic. And, um, you know, there's so much wisdom that you present. And the podcast is called The Boundless Authenticity Podcast. And she's had a lot of terrific people on. And if you listen to the show, you can listen and uh you can learn more about NLP and learn about how this gentleman seems to uh, be calm in a crazy world. Uh, thank you so much for being with us. 
Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Special thanks to our unbelievable guest, and special thanks as always to our virtues, Miss Carrie O'Connor, Miss Constance Dallas, and our social producer, Jenny Lamisa. To learn more about the Out of Limits of Inner Truth, please go to our website at outoflimitsradio.com. And until the next time we meet, my friends, I wish upon you an abundance of peace. Love and beers. Take care and thank you so much for listening.